Hi, I'm Ian Whitaker, and welcome to the JCDCO Digital Changemakers Podcast. I've been invited to host this podcast to highlight the latest trends marketers should know about and interview senior leaders to ask you challenging questions we're all thinking. I want to share insights that will inspire senior marketers to push the boundaries on their marketing strategies and become digital change makers in the organization. Today, I'm talking with Daniel Knapp, Chief Economist of the Internet Advertising Bureau, or IAB, the industry body for digital advertising. In a previous podcast, we discussed the fact that channels like Digital Out of Home and Broadcast Video On Demand have now been officially classified as digital channels. But what does that mean for future advertising strategies? Is it possible for digital teams to take what may have previously been traditional brand budgets due to their new digital capabilities? Daniel, great great to catch up. And thanks very much for, for coming along. Glad to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, it's the first time we actually meet face to face, given that we used to work in the same building in the city a couple of years ago on Ropemaker Street. That that actually is is pretty amazing. Twenty five Ropemaker Street, if I, if that is correct. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was in there for well over a decade with, with things. You realise the world is a small place. Yeah, <laughs> and coincidences just like multiply all over the place. Well, we'll catch up then for lost time. Absolutely. <laughs> in terms of that, so yeah, a lot of people know you already in terms of, of you know who you are and what you do and so forth but but just maybe for those who who don't sort of know you maybe just give a bit of explanation about your background your role at the IAB what it involves uh, and what you currently do at the moment yeah. so my name is Daniel Knapp or Knapp as they say in German but mm -hmm. I adopted the Knapp here in the UK yeah. um, I started out in 2007 as an industry analyst mm -hmm. Um, just really to bridge the time between um, graduation and the start of my PhD. Mm -hmm. I never thought I'd stick in this industry for very long. But um, here we are, uh, yeah. 15 years later, <laughs> and uh, it is as exciting as ever. So I've always been a participant observer mm -hmm. in this industry, similar to, um, um, in a sense, um, what you used to do. Um, I analyzed markets and trends and tried to understand where ad markets overall are heading mm -hmm. and where companies are investing, who the winners and losers are, and what likely scenarios are going to be for the future. So before I joined IAB Europe, IAB Europe used to be my client. I used to produce the ADEX benchmark study, which is the um, market sizing study for ad spend in mm -hmm. Europe uh, for them since 2008. But I was running the TMT research division at IHS Market, a research and financial services company, and switched to IAB Europe, where I'm the chief economist, which involves broadly two things. Number one, it's a continuation of understanding sizing markets and understanding trends. But then it's also building a bridge between the world of business mm -hmm. and the world of policy, in particularly Brussels. Mm. So trying to help the industry understand where regulation is going to go next, mm -hmm. what the implications of regulatory paradigms, DSA, DMA, they have more acronyms than mm -hmm. all of ad tech, um, are, and then also try to communicate to policymakers what the values, importance, and economic contribution of digital advertising is. And that's a wide-ranging remit, sort of when, when you talk about it. As you said, it's not just business. But also the politics and the regulation side of, uh, of things as well. And I would imagine sort of as your workload has only increased rather than, than decreased over the past couple of years. Um, 
these worlds of business and policy, they used to be considered as to be quite mm -hmm. separate. And I mm -hmm. had to, in a sense, try to forcefully join them mm -hmm. uh, on the public sphere, in, yeah. you know, in, you know on, on conferences and so forth. But I think everybody understands now that these worlds really co-constitute uh, co each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, with big tech regulation, with privacy, with antitrust, um, it's incredibly obvious uh, that these are um, two sides of the of the same coin. Mm -hmm. But the challenge in, in this really is to follow two very different ways of thinking mm -hmm. and going about and going about business, mm -hmm. right? And trying to bring these uh, these together uh, requires a lot of translation work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, 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 I totally imagine that because yeah, the language that both would use mm -hmm. not necessarily the same language. Yeah, sure. And a funny and a funny anecdote, Ian. So um, while I was um, an analyst, I mm -hmm. did my PhD in um, um, computational sociology, <laughs> where I was um, actually analyzing what's now called surveillance capitalism. So oh, okay. a lot of this kind of academic critique mm -hmm. which has been launched at the industry now from um, pr privacy advocates and others. Mm -hmm. um, well, I used to be kind of in that world, on the academic side, and uh, I'm glad I stepped out of it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably, you know, peace of mind standpoint, that's probably quite, that's probably quite good. I mean, you, you touched on something there. I mean, you've been doing this now for 15 years. And, you know, when you look at sort of, of what's changed, used to be very much that the world used to be the old analog and digital media. You know, and there used to be a very clear dividing line between the two things. But if you actually now look at sort of uh, what's going on, the lines, particularly when it comes to the analog platform is moving more into digital, the lines seem to be becoming increasingly blurred. You know, digital out of home, for example, majority of ad spend in the UK as it is, of outdoor spend in the UK as it is a number of other markets. TV, you know, more of an emphasis there on on the advertising products, video on demand, really getting streaming services, launching advertising as well. When you look at it in terms of, of yeah, those boundaries sort of, of dissolving, what do you think will be the, the, the sort of trend moving forward? I mean, obviously, those trends will continue. But just thinking sort of, of more in the way of how ad budgets are looked at, particularly in terms of digital ad budgets sort of uh, as well, the opportunities for some of the traditional platforms maybe to grab a share of ad budgets. And I guess also as well, because yeah, probably sort of both realize process is very important in these things and obviously drives a lot of the decisions that are made. Also, from an agency standpoint, you know, what maybe needs to change there in terms of recognizing the new reality? I mean, we clearly are in a sector that is in flux. Uh, mm -hmm. We have, on the one hand, Macro headwinds, we're going to come to that. Mm -hmm. We have um, uh, privacy regulation, mm -hmm. and we also have the um, blurring of the boundaries, mm -hmm. as you say. And um, But if we take a step back and look, are the boundaries between digital and analog media really blurring? I think there are um, different stages of integration of mm -hmm. these two. From a consumer perspective, mm -hmm. it often doesn't matter whether the TV signal... Um, comes via broadband, via satellite, or mm -hmm. somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, the experience, or they expect the experience to be the same. Um, for advertisers, um, it's often similar, mm -hmm. where it doesn't matter whether the medium is 
traditionally analog or digital. Mm -hmm. And we see, as you mentioned, the digitization of everything. Mm -hmm. Even print media can now be bought programmatically mm -hmm. with digital interfaces. Mm -hmm. However, if we dig a little bit deeper, we can see that the, from an operational and procedural perspective, boundaries between analog and traditional still very much exists. Mm -hmm. um, still a couple of years ago, broadcasters were struggling how to package together linear spots mm -hmm. and you know, digital extensions. Mm -hmm. um, AVOT services, CTV, should this all be priced similarly? Mm -hmm. Is this now, do these impressions have the same value? Mm -hmm. Do we need different salespeople to bring this to the market? Mm -hmm. With agencies, the same thing. If we now look at a CTV, CTV, an often overhyped market, but the UK is the largest in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, still, a huge grappling you know, of competencies. Mm -hmm. um, is it the TV buying team? Is mm -hmm. it the digital team? It's different languages, different metrics, and different histories. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the convergence of media, we need to ensure as an ad industry that what consumers already perceive as the de facto state of the world mm -hmm. what of, cons uh, of converged media is replicated um, not only in how we present media to consumers, mm -hmm. but also how we buy and sell it. And here, I believe, much more integration and collaboration is still required. And I, I, I guess from, from that standpoint, where do you think the, the, the sort of emphasis lies on that in terms of the progress, in terms of the, the, the buying and the selling? Because as you say, it seems both parties, both sides of the party have something to, you know, something to do. But would you say there's been more advancement on, let's say, the platform side or do you think the agencies have, have made more movement? Um, it, really depends on, it really depends on the agency. I mm -hmm. think in the, in the kind of last two years, there's been a lot of movement. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a fortuitous event. And this is um, this seismic change in privacy laws. Mm -hmm. um, we had traditional and digital media go on entirely separate tracks when mm -hmm. it came to how to measure or how to value consumers, mm -hmm. GRPs versus impressions, for instance. Mm -hmm. And the digital world was always different because they were hell-bent mm -hmm. on this paradigm of one-on-one -on -one targeting. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, that's, gonna work, that's not going to work anymore. Mm -hmm. The digital world, in a sense, as the analog world is adapting to be more digital in mm -hmm. terms of booking processes, in terms of more real-time measurement and so forth, the digital world at the same time is starting to revisit these foundational truths about does one-to-one -one targeting really work? Mm -hmm. Should we not go back to, to cohorts, to aggregates? Mm -hmm. So they're approaching within a digital mindset with digital data measurement frameworks and ways of understanding of bucketing audiences mm -hmm. which more resemble the analog world. So these are, in a, in a sense, coming together. Mm -hmm. And I think the privacy regulation is actually a catalyst here. Okay. And that's sort of, that's very interesting because it sort of leads into the the next question. And I do want to come back on the macro side of things sort of a, as well because that's been a feature, you know, particularly in, in recent weeks and indeed months for the for the online players but on the structural side of things so can you walk me through from where you from from where you're standing sort of the structural changes that are happening within the digital space uh, and what they mean we've already talked about some of them about sort of analog players moving into digital and obviously some of the changes that's happening there but the platforms themselves yeah you're now starting to see slowing ad growth that that's coming through and you know, as you said about apple's privacy changes and yeah, the impacts that are, that are coming through there. When we look at things structurally, which direction do you think we're heading? The 
composition of the digital ad market is going to be remixed. Mm -hmm. um, until recently, we had a situation where social media, mainly the meta platforms, mm -hmm. were growing because they could acquire more users, they could increase time spent on platform, and they could increase ad prices. Mm -hmm. And all of these three things are kind of stalling. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have a massive competition for time mm -hmm. with Snap, with TikTok coming in the space, and you can see they're all copying each other. Mm -hmm. uh, we're moving away from social feeds mm -hmm. to algorithmic feeds, mm -hmm. um, ad products, reels, um, um, and other products mm -hmm. are being harmonized, but everyone tries to jump on the on the TikTok bandwagon. These products are becoming much, much more similar. So social media turns into a redistribution game more than an absolute growth game. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we're seeing, and we come to the macro environment, I know, um, we're seeing this old channel of search, which already kind of bolts an ad spend in the 08 or 09 recession, um, still remaining relatively strong. Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing, at the same time, new channels emerging. Think of retail media. Again, we got traditional mm -hmm. and digital budgets, where we're seeing traditional trade budgets, trade marketing budgets, which are not even ad budgets in the strict uh, definition mm -hmm. sense. We see them moving online, right? Your supermarket promotions but now uh, being put on Ocado and other websites for sponsored products, um, sponsored links, and so forth. Mm -hmm. A huge market, which including Amazon, with IB Europe currently believed to be worth about 8 billion euros um, in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, in the EU plus uh, plus the UK. So new players emerging very quickly, fueled by the importance of first-party data, um, the ability to do attribution, and to link ad exposure to sales. Redistribution in social, um, I think uh, search remaining fairly okay. In programmatic, it's a very different world. Um, di very different trends in, I think we move what we're moving towards a world where more premium ad channels are being done in programmatic, but usually in um, closed auction environments, not open auction environments, and the overall open auction space, in particular the publishing sector, coming more under pressure as we're moving towards IDs, contextual, and so forth. So there isn't any element of stability, in a sense, in the ad market. It's all being currently remixed. And it's quite funny, I mean, uh, and this will touch on the macro point, you know, we look at the Q2 results season, and for many people, it's really confusing the, the, the hell out of them. Because on the one hand, you've got you know, the metas, the snaps, you know, YouTube talking about a weakening macroeconomic environment, which is causing the slowdown in their ad growth. And yet, when you look at, for example, the ad agencies have all been upgrading their full-year forecasts. Yep, JCDCo itself, sort of in terms of a strong ad performance, TV still seems to be relatively resilient. And some FMCGs have reported pretty impressive results. Exactly. And yeah, a lot of them have actually upgraded their top-line guidance as well to, for things. And it seems as though the macroeconomic argument has been used by several of these players now for several quarters. When you look at the results, I mean, you go back to Q3 of last year, both Meta and Snap highlighted the the weakening macroeconomic environment wasn't really seen by anyone else but that was sort of uh, why they sort of laid the the grounds for their weakening ad growth and this continued the next couple of quarters if we look at the situation now sort of uh, and we'll come back in a moment i think to to an interesting sort of split between some of the online players 
But more generally, if you look at the situation now, how much do you think is really down to the, the, the sort of macro side? And how much do you think it is down to these structural changes really starting to impact the players? I don't think we've seen much of the macro changes yet. Mm -hmm. I believe they will only really hit in Q4 this mm -hmm. year or even in 2023. Mm -hmm. um, where if you look at the kind of muted for you know, IMF forecasts recently being put out, um, I think 2023 is going to be the really hard test mm -hmm. for the ad industry. Um, we also have, in particular, when we look at I mean, some of the larger ad spenders, mm -hmm. upfront agreements, long-term agreements, where mm -hmm. they're not, spe not cutting money as quickly, maybe. Mm -hmm. So although the macroeconomic situation remains tense, we have rising consumer prices and so mm -hmm. forth, but people still need to advertise mm -hmm. to show uh, that they're relevant, to justify those prices, for instance, mm -hmm. etc. But this can only continue for so long. Mm -hmm. So I think at the, at the end of the year, we'll really see the macro environment um, hit hard. Right now, the macroeconomic environment is often used as a maybe as a veneer by mm -hmm. some of the companies you mentioned to obscure more structural challenges to the business, which are actually more concerning than macroeconomic trends. Macroeconomic trends are cyclical. Mm -hmm. Clouds come, clouds go. Yeah. But if your performance is due to structural ruptures in the market, it's a much bigger problem. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the impact of ATT that mm -hmm. we're seeing um, is an issue we're seeing the kind of this five-year leap in e-commerce which was the consensus uh, during covid mm -hmm. regressing to the mean again right so if you look at the re recent um u.s statistics um, on e-commerce you saw this exponential growth in 2020-21 but now it's actually turning declining mm -hmm. going back to the original growth trajectory and you had the shopify results mm -hmm. um uh, uh, um, staff let go, etc. And many of the big social players are heavily reliant on number one, e-commerce. Mm -hmm. And of course, number two, app installs, where Apple's ATT mm -hmm. is going to play a crucial role. Mm -hmm. And who knows, with uh, Google as a kind of one of the quasi-regulators in this space, mm -hmm. it's going to happen with um, the next Android OS and uh, tracking changes implemented here. Mm -hmm. And it's quite, you know, as you say, when you look at the sort of numbers, You've got some very interesting pattern that, as you say, in terms of e-commerce and what's happening there. I am um, New York Times, their Q2 results. Yeah, you look at their Q2 advertising. I mean, it's a small snippet, but their digital ad revenues were down over two percent in Q2, but their print advertising revenues were actually up fifteen percent because luxury and entertainment come back. I mean, it's a real. You know, you've got some real sort of weird splits in here at the moment. I think what's interesting when you look at the online players as well is not only do you have a, as it were, slowing growth at a number of the players, you know, your highlighted search is still remaining strong, but also the differential between different performers. You know, so, you know, Snap, Meta, everyone talks about sort of the weakness there. But, for example, you look at the results season, Amazon had a very healthy advertising performance, you know, Pin interested as well, you know, Spotify did you know, uh, uh, as well beaten numbers. I mean, it really seems as though this is not, it's not just a case of, of advertisers were losing faith in the overall ecosystem. This almost seems to be coming down now more to individual platforms are being, see, are, are being sort of viewed one against the other to see how effective they are. I mean, in a, in a, the advertising industry loves to brand itself as an innovation industry, but mm -hmm. we know that change in advertising is glacial 
at best. When it comes to PowerPoints, it's all about innovation. When it mm -hmm. comes to real business change, it's incredibly slow and conservative. Having said that, um, we have seen during COVID that advertisers have changed their response to crisis and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I think in particular, programmatic and digital channels with their switch on, switch off nature have given advertisers the comfort that they don't, that they can be more tactical and that, mm -hmm. that they do not need to adopt the wait and see approach. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm confident that advertisers will carry this mindset mm -hmm. also into the current um, looming recession. I would fully agree with what you said. Um, it's not clear cut though. Mm. And um, performance depends on primarily on what return on ad spend particular platforms can deliver mm -hmm. under circumstances. And these circumstances are changing. CMOs are much more data driven. Mm -hmm. We see that uh, in contrast to previous recessions, procurement is even more involved in budgeting decisions. Mm -hmm. So showing that ad spend delivers is a huge issue. We also see that you know, the composition of ad spenders mm -hmm. um, is entirely different right now. Mm, yeah. So in that sense, you know, it's good news to see that the agency business is strong. Mm -hmm. But if we look at digital, maybe only 30% of budget actually goes through agencies. The others is direct. And there's this massive black box of millions of SMEs, which are incredibly hard to track. The app install industry is huge. And in particular now, return on ad spend isn't really isn't really guaranteed anymore with mm -hmm. the trend with the trends in tracking. So all these things come together. And if we move when we move through this recession, there will be winners and there will be losers again. And from an advertiser's perspective, and going back to that point, when you look at what advertisers are doing and what sort of for them the most important platforms, you know, when it comes to the choices that they need to make and, and where they put their sort of spend, has there been a progression of that in terms of of their way of thinking in terms of, of yeah, a change in terms of the direction? Or is it still, as you said, change in the advertising industry tends to be quite glacial? Every advertiser is adopting or has adopted an omni-channel strategy. Mm. But the paradox is that um, we have more data than ever in a sense, mm. but less than ever we know what it means because data isn't comparable across platforms. Mm -hmm. um, many platforms, many channels produce their well proprietary truths, mm -hmm. but you can't reconcile that into an overall picture of what performance looks like. Mm -hmm. Different measurements, different look-back windows, different granularity of mm -hmm. data. And for advertisers, it's becoming much harder to um, determine the individual performance of each channel based on the reporting signals that they that they receive within and, and across those channels. Mm -hmm. So many are actually um, not evaluating channel by channel, mm -hmm. their return on, on, on ad spend analysis, but they're going one level up and they're just looking at total, you know, the, the total contribution mm -hmm. to revenue that advertising makes and start, starting to ignore differences of benchmarking between channels. Um, whether that's going to be a long-term solution is questionable. So those channels who can really produce, in particular, immediate results, performance-based retail media here, I think, uh, stands out, has a chance to, to, uh, to, uh, to demonstrate value. Mm -hmm. But um, measurement is becoming, and attribution is becoming increasingly hard. Mm -hmm. And typically, people think that the more digital things become, the more data-driven things become, mm -hmm. the more granular become. Mm -hmm. In reality... The opposite is true because data is so incredibly difficult to interpret. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's an interesting point there because because the the sort of, of 
phrasing in, in English from Alice in Wonderland is to, you know, go down the rabbit hole. You know, when essentially sort of people get so fixated on one narrow point and so forth and delve far too deeply into it. I mean, do you think there's an, that there's an issue here that, you know, going back to this point that you said before in terms of targeting, in terms of measurement, the, the need for one-to-one sort of, of of attribution and so forth. Do, do you think, as it were, that, that you know, both in terms of the industry and in terms of advertisers, that actually they may have gone too far down the rabbit hole in trying to get, as it were, the what the perfect 100% result or 100% system, and in fact are actually missing the bigger picture? The world of one-on-one targeting has always suggested that you could at least asymptotically reach, you know, this 100% accuracy. Mm-hmm. And we now know that um, there are limitations to that model. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what, um, number one, of course, addressable strategies remain very important. Mm-hmm. But how this addressability is going to be delivered will be planned out on many different uh, different tiers. Mm-hmm. Um, you will have platforms with um, first-party data, IDs, um, billing relationships, mm-hmm. credit cards, where you can really do there's one-on-one targeting mm-hmm. and even measure conversions, right? In particular, when ad exposure and conversion, like in the retail media environment, mm-hmm. happen on the same platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be gold. Then you have over 100 different ID solutions currently without mm-hmm. a clear market leader in mm-hmm. digital. Mm-hmm. You have contextual solutions. Um, you have um, currently Google Topics and Fledge and mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, other kind of sandbox proposals where it's unclear where it's going. Mm-hmm. So for every advertiser... Um, there isn't one replacement mm-hmm. of third-party cookies and one replacement on how their addressable strategy is going to evolve. So what they have to do is they need to experiment, mm. to test, learn, and adapt. Mm-hmm. And I think that this state of perpetual uncertainty mm-hmm. is going to continue for mm-hmm. the next five years at least, which means advertisers tended to optimize across channels, across creatives, etc. But now they will also need to start optimizing across targeting paradigms. Mm-hmm. And those who can build institutionalized knowledge about under which conditions, which targeting works best, will have a systematic knowledge advantage uh, um, versus others. Okay. And it, it, it's, yeah, touching on that point, I mean, again, the end of cookies has been delayed. I mean, do you think we'll ever get to a stage where cookies will actually go? Because it just seems as though you know, it's been kicked down the road one year after another year. Always an excuse as to, to why third-party cookies can't be ended. I'm convinced they will go. Yeah. Um, the social and political pressure mm-hmm. is far too high mm-hmm. to go back on that. Mm-hmm. The road is longer and stonier than anticipated. I mm-hmm. think even, you know, even Google and others didn't foresee the huge complications that, that, that would come. I believe that the current additional delay is a combination of trying to establish a deeper dialogue with the industry mm-hmm. on the Google side, but also the macro environment. So mm-hmm. if you now kind of drop, you know, remove the, you know, re- you know, in a sense, pull the rug under the industry mm-hmm. when, when things become volatile, um, it might be problematic. Right. Um, but um, they will go. Mm-hmm. We are in a world where I think data extractivism is dead, mm-hmm. i.e. where Companies could take consumer data mm-hmm. and do something with it without delivering clear, explainable, and tangible values to consumers. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a new relationship mm-hmm. between data, uh, data advertising, and consumers. And 
Despite its critics, I'm convinced that the industry is on a path to do this and that down the road, every other industry will face the same conundrum. How can we provide personalized services while at the same time protecting privacy? And if I'm optimistic about advertising, I believe it's going to be the bellwether industry where best practices developed here right now under severe consumer lobbyist group pressures will actually be templates that other industries, yeah. retail, uh, travel, <laughs> etc., can adopt. Again, in a moment, I'm going to ask you a final question, which is going to be on advice you would give to advertisers, sort of looking at the space at the moment. So have a think about that while while sort of ask the ask the second to last question. But one of the things I sort of have found interesting is, you know, there has been this this sort of view building up that yeah, TikTok is set to to conquer, as it were. The Western markets, obviously, in terms of, of downloads, has gone up. Sort of advertisers have expressed more interest and so forth. And yet, yeah, we look at certainly from newspaper reports, from Financial Times, talking about the fact that it seems to put a, a pause on its social commerce activities and so forth. And yes, it's worked well in China and Russia, but there is a question mark whether it works well in in Western markets as well. Do you think that TikTok is going to reorder, as it were, the social media world? I mean, there's an argument to say it already has. But do you think it will reorder it in terms of, of being able to grab a significant share of, of market and or changing the, the model? Or do you think, you know, from where we stand now, that with TikTok, you know, two years, three years' time, we'll look back at it and say it was a bit of a flash in the pan? As you said, TikTok has already changed the model. Hmm. Um you know, even when you go on the desktop version of YouTube, you see you can have TikTok-like reels, mm. right? It's um, um, It has changed um, content production distribution, and everybody is trying to adopt that model as it's so sticky. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are going to be huge regulatory problems around algorithmic curation, and um, uh, policymakers are, lo are looking at that clearly. Mm -hmm. um, on the e-commerce side, um, yes, it was hoped that um, similar to China, um, US and um, European consumers would adopt this model. But we haven't grown up with WeChat. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very, very different cultural environment, mm -hmm. and it's hard to crack that. Um, is TikTok going to be a persistent trend? Um, that is hard to say. Social media trends, they, they change all the time. And news feeds have always changed. Um, formats have always changed. Mm -hmm. um, so... There will be a period, maybe two or three years, where what TikTok has started is going to be the North Star to which many social media players are trying to converge. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you could say it is kind of ushering in the death of social media overall. Mm -hmm. Consumers um, have started to exchange personal information mm -hmm. in more semi-private groups. Mm. Think of WhatsApp chat groups and so forth, not in that public domain that Facebook blue app 1.0 was. Mm. And our question whether TikTok themselves would declare themselves as social media, isn't it really just video-based short-form content? Mm. Right. So there is not a lot of interaction with the content. Mm -hmm. It's more about replicating social micro-trends happening through the content, with dances, with memes, and so mm -hmm. forth. But direct content-based interaction isn't there anymore. I mean, that that's... Yeah, I, I think that's a really, really good point. Sort of, I do want to end 
on question four for the advice you'd give to advertisers because you know when you look at this whole space as we talked about before the boundaries are changing yeah i would argue for example that you know in a way you've got what let's say we would call the video markets encompasses a lot more than traditionally would think about it's not just social media platforms you know it's not just tiktoks and youtubes but there's arguments for saying it's the avod services digital out of home are the same you've got the arguments about what's happening on the regulatory and political front and the potential changes that will come through from there what advice would you give to advertisers who are trying to navigate all of this and trying to think about what are the best media choices to make it's a challenging time but also an exciting time for advertisers mm -hmm. because uncertainty really breeds the opportunity to differentiate mm -hmm. right? um when everybody bought the same, the same media through the same buying interfaces, mm -hmm. how could you really distinguish yourself from a competitor? Mm -hmm. Maybe you had a bit of a better bidding algorithm. Maybe um, your agency was a bit more switched on. Mm -hmm. But these were really incremental changes, mm -hmm. little tweaks you could do to the effectiveness and efficiency of your media. In this new landscape with these thousands of different unassembled Lego blocks, if you start to think strategically and start to experiment, right? not go in there with a preconceived notion of what media is, but start to think empirically, record, monitor, test, compare different things, you can build up a stock of your own knowledge, in a sense, a recipe knowledge that others don't have. I would encourage all advertisers to think about this landscape in that way. Don't think about it as something daunting, but as something where maybe these these times only come every 20 years where you can you use your media strategy and what you know about media as a strategic advantage in your company dna then i would say revisit what is mass media what are performance media are those boundaries still valid right mm -hmm. um think of shopping on instagram for instance right this is brand and performed at the same time mm -hmm. with a seamless purchase think about digital out of home for instance um is it going to be an extension of TV? Is it a different medium? Maybe it's the last mass medium standing as it cannot be um, fragmented mm -hmm. through um, you know, viewers going to different platforms. So evaluate what are the functions of media, of different media, in the overall orchestra of what you're trying to achieve. And then, as I said, experiment, test, learn, do things yourself, um, review contracts, um, test different agencies, uh, but... This is no time for stasis, that's for sure. Okay. Daniel, that's been superb. Thank you so much. That, 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 that's been great. It's going to be very fascinating to see what happens over the next few years, that's for sure. I'll keep uh, the Excel spreadsheets open uh, <laughs> until Christmas, that's for sure. <laughs> that's great. Thank you so much, Daniel. Very pleasure, Ian. Thanks. No problem. Daniel, thank you for joining me today. Lots of great insights there for our listeners to act on. We hope you've enjoyed listening to our episode today. And wherever you get your podcasts, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share. For further resources, downloadable slides, and more information on all the topics covered in our podcasts, visit changemakers.jcdeco.co.uk. We hope you enjoyed listening. And wherever you get your podcasts, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share. For further resources, downloadable slides, and more information on all the topics covered in our podcasts, visit changemakers.jcdeco.co.uk. You'll also find my short e-learning series there on how to speak the language of the CFO 
on the JC Deco Digital Academy. Thanks for joining and see you next time.